Okay, James chapter 1. I'm going to kick it out from the top. Thank you, uh, Brother Lance Garrett, for taking care of this last Wednesday night. I appreciate that. And uh, let's give Lance a round of appreciation for bringing the word last Wednesday night. I appreciate that very much. Lance Garrett is a man of God and a capable teacher. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know. It does not say feel. It says no. One of my great statements of undeniable truth is we do not live by what we feel. We live by what we know. I sent that to somebody the other day in a private Facebook message and told them just to pray and think on it based on what they were going through. Sent me back a message the other day and after that and said, wow, pastor, there's a lot of meat on that bone you sent me. I'm still chewing on that, you know, but it's true. If you go through the Bible and focus on the words no, K-N-O-W, you know, the Greek has five definitions for that word, five definitions for the word K-N-O-W, no. But I want to tell you if, you, if you can get to the place where you live by what you know and you don't live by your emotions, I'm not saying you're not going to have them. We're not going to be Spock, never going to be Vulcans. God hardwired us with emotions. That's not the point. The point is, are the emotions controlling us or are we controlling the emotions? So we can do this thing. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let, let allow you the understood subject in parentheses permit it to happen. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, and here's God's will for all our lives, mature and complete, not lacking anything. Man, sometimes I just think about that verse, that little segment, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, some days go by, and I just ponder that all day long, roll it around in my head like a pinball. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person, strong words coming, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And this is where we're going to take up tonight, verse 6. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. That's sort of a Jotek's position of thought, an irony, as it were. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation. A little more irony from James. Since they will pass away like a wildflower, for the sun rises with scorching heat, withers the plant, its, blossoms, its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. And we're going to stop there, and we're going to have a little talk tonight about humility versus pride. Now, the floor is going to be open through this whole service, so if anybody has a question or a comment, just raise your hand. I'll recognize you. You can share what's on your mind. So it's an open floor night. I want to make that clear from the, from the get-go, and I want to throw out a question for you to bat around a little bit, and this is for everybody. And I, none of these questions are gotcha questions. I'm not out here to catch anybody or embarrass you. I'm not going to shoot you down. Uh, you know, the only questions you can't answer are, did, did, did Adam have a belly button, and where did Cain get his wife? Anything else is okay. So um, what is humility? And I'm not looking for a Wikipedia definition. I'm just looking for what, when you hear the word humility, what comes to your mind? What, what are the things that resonate in your spirit and in your understanding as it relates to being humble and having humility? Now, Mark Griggs isn't here to raise his hands first, so somebody, <laughs> somebody else is going to have to jump out now in the absence of Brother Mark. All right. 
not proud, not boastful. Okay, very good. The antithesis of pride. Good. Somebody else? CJ? Okay, very good. Confident in knowing who you are in Christ, but know, knowing where that came from in Christ. All right, excellent. Somebody else? Humility, what does it mean as you, as you posit your way through it and process it in your mind? Humility. Nobody else has a thought on humility? These are two great, great com- comments. Not proud, not boastful, knowing who you are in Christ, but knowing where it came from. Okay, then what is pride? We've got to talk about both sides of the coin. What is pride? Who's got a thought on that? CJ? Being confident in who you are and thinking it came from God. Okay. Extreme self-confidence. That's really what the entire humanism movement was about. How many of you know who Gene Roddenberry was? He's the creator of the original Star Trek series. He won some years ago the Humanist of the Year Award. And I'm a Trek fan. I didn't know all this terrible stuff about Star Trek. I just liked the show. Uh, I didn't know, I mean, about Gene Roddenberry. I didn't, I didn't know he was a humanist and a pagan and all this stuff. I just enjoyed the show and Captain Kirk and, and Spock and Dr. McCoy and all that, you know. And Scotty, I'm not a miracle worker. I just loved it, but he's dead, Joe. <laughs> sure he is. <laughs> anyway, uh, I just loved it, and uh, I enjoyed When I was in the wreck and I was recovering, it was Star Trek, Star Trek at four and the Wild Wild West at five. How many of y'all remember the Wild Wild West with Robert Conrad? Do, 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 do. Oh, yeah. You can get that, the whole series of the Wild Wild West on XTV. Letting you know. It's one of those streaming channels that bother you all the time, but it works. So pride is, is being confident in yourself, but thinking it came from you. That's a good definition. Who's got another thought on pride? Yeah, and it doesn't have to be necessarily a definition, just... Just something that resonates in your spirit about pride. You got a thought? Anybody else? Let me ask you a question. If a young, young, young man right here, stand up. What's your name? Julian. That's my grandson's name. I love it. Do people call you Juju? We call Julian Juju. How fast do you think your fastest 100-yard dash is? That's fast. Give him a hand for that. That's good. Wow. How old are you? Wow. Man, by the time you're 20, you might be running up there with insane bolt. Who knows? Um, let's just say Julian can outrun everybody in the church. We had a big church race. He crosses the line first because he's just fast, man. Somebody asked Julian, hey, can you run pretty fast? And he goes, yeah, I'm pretty quick. Is that prideful? It's truthful. Uh, it's humility. How's it humility, Anthony? Is it accurate? He has an accurate view of himself. Not prideful. Very good. All right, you can sit down. Very good. Thank you, Julian. If we were going to have a church race, 
at a picnic. And we're going to have an inside picnic January the 29th. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can tell I'm longing for cooler weather. That's prophetic, I tell you. <laughs> July, July the 29th. I am not going to be participating in a 100-yard dash, all right? Used to, I would have, but the doctors will not let me since I had my knee replaced. I can't, I, it's funny, I can play tennis, but they won't let me play racquetball. The one sport you can never play again is racquetball. You can play tennis, but not racquetball. I'm thinking, tennis is rougher on your knee than racquetball. But anyway, the doctor was very adamant about it. I used to play a lot of racquetball. But if we were going to have a church race, and we got it the, at the starting line, and Julian said, oh, I'm going to smoke all y'all slow people. Is that pride? Yeah. Now, even if he wins the race, which he probably would, kind of prideful. Putting ourselves forward, making statements about ourselves that's, that tend to be self-aggrandizing. It's a thin red line sometimes between the truth and pride. I will tell you this, all truth doesn't need to be spoken or told. Just because you know it doesn't necessitate it needs to be told to somebody else. That's a good thing to remember. How, how then can we keep pride at bay? How can we keep pride out of our spirits, out of our hearts, out of our minds? I want you to, I want you to share with this. Now, this is a how question. So it opens up a whole, but it's not a definition question, it's a how question. So how can we keep pride at bay in our lives? Who's got a thought on that? What do you think? How can we do it? How can we keep pride? Larry? <laughs> Don't brag. <laughs> That's a definite bullseye there. Don't brag. How can, how can we not brag? How can we not go there in our minds? CJ? Let's see. They're all God-given. So the guy who got up today and went to work at Sears and changed batteries all day in the 95-degree heat and went home with dirty fingers and sweaty armpits and smelly boots, exhausted and 20 pounds lighter because he sweated just that much today, he worked his brains out today. That was God's blessing on his life. Absolutely right. Deuteronomy says, it is the Lord who gives us the ability to gain wealth. The job we have, we, we might be the one doing the work, but the opportunity and the health and the whole matrix that puts it all together, it came from God. So that job you have, or that strength you have to do that, or that opportunity that's coming, we might feel like we're the one doing the work, and you might be doing the work, but it's God who's given you that increase. And the ability to perform that job. Absolutely. So, how can we continue to keep pride at bay? Good stuff. Somebody else. How can we continue to keep pride at bay? Nate? Wait, say that again. Give glory to God. That's exactly right. Powerful stuff. It's, uh, <laughs> somebody went up to somebody. It was Joshua who went up to Achan after the battle of Ai, after the Israelites had gone into the promised land and conquered 
uh, the city of Jericho. They crossed the Jordan. They conquered. By the way, if you go to the Holy Land right now, you can look at the walls of Jericho today. They're still there uh, in their crumpled state. And you can see the layer of ash where Joshua burned the city. You can see it. But Joshua went to Achan after they cast lots, and the lot fell to Achan as to who, who had taken some of the devoted things instead of giving them to the church treasury, took him and put him in his own tent. And Joshua walked up to Achan after the lot fell to him, and he said, Now, son, give glory to God and tell us what you have done. <laughs> I remember sometimes I'd go up to my little boy, Jeremy, and I'd go, Now, son, give glory to God and tell me what you have done. <laughs> it was hilarious. So if you ever hear me come up to you and say, Now, Big John, give glory to God and tell the pastor what you've done. You know, it's on, man. He knows already. So how do we keep pride away from us? Give glory to God. That's excellent. Somebody else. How do we keep it away? By staying in the Word of God. She's getting some amens. Yep. Let, me just, let me just say this real quick. It doesn't matter if you can float. It doesn't matter if you can fly under your own power. It doesn't matter if you walked out to the Douglasville graveyard and raised every person from the dead right now. If if you're not walking in harmony with what the Bible says, God's not impressed by any of that, even if you can do it. You're not the most spiritual when you can raise the dead or walk on water. You're the most spiritual when you walk in obedience to the Word of God. You will never be more spiritual than when you walk in obedience to this book. Now, I want you to understand that. I want to say it to you again. You and I will never be more spiritual than when we're walking in obedience with God's Word. Second thing about God's Word is this. Who is the author of the Bible? The Holy Spirit. Therefore, since the Holy Spirit is the author, He is never going to say anything in the Bible that contradicts or does not support the way He operates in the world. So when you hear people talking about, I know the Bible doesn't say this, but I know the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can do what he wants to. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit is going to operate according to five words. What does the Bible say? So when it comes to a contest between a Holy Spirit manifestation and what does the Bible say, the, the Bible itself, the Bible, listen, this is important. Because in the last days, the false prophet's going to call down fire from heaven. The whole world's going to see it and deceive the nations. The Bible is the final judge of everything else, including what people say might, might or might not be moves of the Holy Spirit. I don't care who it is. I don't care how many people watch his or her TV show. The Bible is the judge of what they say. Not how many people buy their book. The Bible. Not how popular they are. The Bible. The Bible's the judge of every message I preach. I encourage you, don't you dare ever take my word at face value. Whatever I preach in here, I encourage you to go to the Bible and make sure your pastor is telling you the truth. Paul said that the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians because they searched the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now, I'm not playing gotcha with you, and I don't want you to play gotcha with me, but I do want you to check the Scriptures and make sure that I'm telling you the truth because that's good for you. And it's good for me. It keeps me right and correct and accurate. And I like it. And it'll grow us all together. Amen? So we can keep pride at bay in these ways. How else? Anybody got, got another thought about how can you keep pride at bay in your life? What's a good, a good way to prayer? Prayer. Pastor Don and I are doing something 
It's called The Miracle Morning. That's actually a, a book that you can buy, I think. The Miracle Morning, I think it's a book. And it, it gives you a kind of a routine for your early morning and some things that you can do. And I kind of tweak it for myself, and I always have had a morning routine, but I've really gotten back to it. And a lot of it has to do, for me, with reading the Bible. And every morning I get up, set my alarm clock, and get out of bed, and I, I start my day with the Bible. I start my day with Psalms, I go to Proverbs, and then I go to the New Testament, the Gospels, and then I read something in the letters. And then if I feel like freelancing, you know, I might go read uh, Nahum, or I might go read Habakkuk, or Revelation, or whatever. Um, sometimes I'll go back and I'll do a study in the book of Exodus. Uh, Leviticus is not necessarily one of the most exciting reads in the Word of God, but I will tell you that the Holy Spirit shows up in the book of Leviticus in powerful ways. Sometimes go in and read. So, you know, if I wrote you a letter, if I wrote you a letter, and, and you hadn't heard from me in years, and I wrote you a letter, and it was four pages, would you read the first page and a half? And they said, well, that's great. I'll come read the rest of that later. You'd read the whole thing. Now, I'm not going to tell you it's unspiritual if you don't sit down and read all 40-whatever chapters of Genesis there are, but or 30-whatever, however many there are, or all 119 psalms. But I will tell you this. Actually, it's more than 119 psalms, 150-something. But it is important and good when you can to discipline yourself to read through a whole book at a time, because especially the letters, because that's how they were written. Paul didn't sit down and say, I'm going to write the book of Ephesians. He said, I'm going to write a letter to the church at Ephesus. So the book of Ephesians is really a letter. Chapter and verse were added much, much later. So it's really a long letter. And in those days, they wrote letters, and they handed it around from house church to house church, and all the people in Ephesus got to read the same letter from their apostolic leader, Paul. So it does the body good sometimes to just read the entire account of the Genesis uh, book from creation all the way through. It's a powerful read, and there are miracles in there that are amazing. Uh, the account of the flood. You know, there's a verse in there about the flood. The Bible says that every thought of man had become only evil all the time, and that's why the flood came. Think about that statement. Every thought of man had become only evil all the time. He never thought of anything good. What an indictment against humanity. Man. All right. So what are some Bible verses or stories that will help us stay humble? Can you think of any verses or some stories out of the Bible that speak to you about humility? Let's go back to the Bible and, and, and kind of open it up before us in our minds and, and ask ourselves, what, what biblical accounts remind me and help me remember the dangers of pride and the power that is found in humility? Can you think of a Bible verse or a story that comes to mind? Janet? Mordecai. That's powerful. Man, oh man. And in case you don't know the rule of the day, in, in that day, the king sat in his chamber and he, cases were brought before him and he, he, he issued a summary judgment. What the king said was instantaneously law. So you brought him a case like if, 
you know, if uh, Thomas sued me over a, a goat and we, we went before King, uh, King Anthony and King Anthony's going to settle the goat problem between me and Thomas. Whatever King Anthony said, that was it. He said, Yarborough's the thief. Go whack off his head. Well, it's been nice knowing y'all. <laughs> Whatever Anthony said, that's it. You know, some big burly soldier with a gnarly looking axe is going to come bend me over a stump and whack my head off. That's just the way it went. What the king said was it. It was law instantly. And the rule was when if you came into the king's court without him inviting you or without having a proper appointment, if you just walked in, if he raised his scepter to you, then you, you were allowed to live. If he did not raise his scepter, that meant the guards took you out and executed you. And that was the law of the land. So when Esther walked before the king without an appointment and without a pre-scheduled arranged visit and walked into the king's, this, this wasn't the bedroom. Now, this was the court. King was holding court. So he could have, he could have just folded his arms. I, I, I bet she was probably real friendly to him the night before. But anyway, it was important that the king raised his scepter, and he did, and she lived. It, I love the story of how Haman... If you don't know it, you ought to read the book of Esther. It's just one of the greatest, the greatest stories of justice winning the day that there is in the whole Bible. All right, where are some other stories of uh, humility and keeping us humble? Michael? Yeah, that's no fun. And the guards that came in actually perished. Yep. That's how hot it was. That's right. <laughs> You're right. Yep. That's one, of the, that's one of the greatest statements of faith to me in the whole Bible is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When I was a little boy, I thought it was a billy goat. But anyway, Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat. I said that for I was like 12 years old. Anyway, another verse or story that's a good account of uh, Lance. Chapter 2. That's right. Became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Excellent. He was quoting that, by the way. You the man. I love it. Yes, sir. Jesus, who was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Now, that's, that's humility. Somebody else. Something, something in the Bible, a character, a life testimony. Mm-hmm. She sure was. That's right. That's right. David?
Yep. That's true. You know, I, I preach a lot. I haven't done it lately, but I, one of my great studies as a minister all my life, I've studied a couple of things a lot. One is end-time prophecy. I've studied that so much. And the other thing is spiritual maturity, because I believe spiritual immaturity does more damage to the body of Christ than anything else. And one of the earmarks of spiritual maturity is the ability to accept correction. Very, very, very powerful truth. Uh, these are excellent. Somebody else. These these will inspire your faith, man. What are other some, some other scriptures that'll help us to stay humble before God? Josh? That's right. Yep. That's right. Mm. Yeah, we're not talking about a bad business deal, you know. We're talking about your, you say he's going to cause your death. Think about that. You're, this guy's going to be the, the key instrument to your death, and you're washing his feet hours before he turns you over to the authorities. That's, that's powerful stuff. Here's some things that I jotted down. Um, remember King Nebuchadnezzar? He walked around on his palace and he said, is this not the great Babylon I've created? And the, the Lord spoke to him and said, because you have been proud in your heart, you're, you are judged. And he said, you, you know, your, your hair is going to grow long like eagle's feathers and your, your nails like the talons of a bird and, and it will do on you until you've come back to your senses. And sure enough, he lost his mind, went out in the field and lived like a wild animal for years until he came back to his senses. It's amazing how humble he was when he came back, you know. And we spoke about David, but let me, if you want to hear, if you want to read a, a chapter in, in the Bible that is the greatest picture of a repentant heart, David wrote a, wrote a psalm after he was fingered by Nathan the prophet. He wrote a psalm that basically admitted he was wrong with Bathsheba and repented over the whole thing, and it's Psalm 51. If you want to read a powerhouse picture of repentance, that is David's song of repentance that he wrote. Uh, in fact, when Jimmy Swaggart was exposed years ago, and I'm not making light of the guy, we should all forgive him and love him. Amen? When all that happened, that's the passage that he read when he came before the public. It was a, a horrible time. Um, remember when Lucifer was in heaven and there are some books of the Bible um, that make it sound as if he had somehow had pipes in his body as, a, as an angelic being that made music. It almost seems like he was, he was set up as a worship leader or something like that in heaven. I'm not, that's not a doctrinal thing to get lost on it. 
It just sounds like that from certain Old Testament passages that there were pipes somehow in his body. I don't know what that means. I don't know that any of us do. But he said, I will make myself like the Most High God. And, of course, he was kicked out of heaven. And that's, that's an example of the great danger of pride and how weak it makes us and how small it makes us seem. Remember Absalom? You know what Absalom's great downfall was? He was just so good looking. The Bible says that he, there was nobody in Israel like Absalom. He took after his daddy. David was a handsome guy. Absalom had this long hair and this good looks, and he, he decided he was going to put himself forth. So he got about 50 men with horses, a little band of adventurers, and they followed him around. And he, uh, he put himself forth, and he said, he said, I tell you what now, he sat in front of the king's gate, and he said, if I were king, I, know, I love my dad, he's a great king, but if I were king, I'd make sure you got justice. Witchcraft. Let me just tell you something. Witchcraft sometimes has very little to do with the occult or Halloween, and you find it at work powerfully within the church. There is witchcraft operative in the church, not necessarily ours, but it's operative in most churches. Manipulation, power plays, politics in the church for gaining position, uh, using financial empowerment to get your way. Oh, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. The witchcraft, I, I did a, a great deal of teaching on that back on Bright Star Road because we had a lot of it in the church at that point. We just did. Man, I think I could have brought a cross out and done that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the next one is, to me, Jesus on the cross. Now, that's just the biggest one to me. Um, Hey, you've got, you've got God in the flesh hanging on a cross. And the Bible says he could have called down 12 legions of angels. Now, one angel in the Old Testament killed 180-something thousand people overnight, one night. And we don't even know that that was one of the big bad angels. That might have been Barney Fife. We don't know. The, all the real warrior angels might have been on break, you know. They sent Barney down. He killed 180-something thousand people in a night. What could 12 legions of angels do? There wouldn't have been a living person alive on the earth. And instead, Jesus hung there with nails in his hands and feet, gashes in his side, his back shredded, crown of thorns, mockery, dying slowly, and a bunch of people surrounding him saying, if you really are the Son of God, come down off that cross. Prove what you say. Spitting on him, making fun of him, mocking him. I want to just tell you straight, I'd have zapped them all, man. If it was me hanging on the cross, I just don't, I don't think I could have stood it. I'd have said, all right, here, poom, poom. You know, it would have been over. That's why I'm not Jesus. But for him to hang there and die for us, knowing he didn't have to, and knowing that he could have destroyed all those people, you talk about humility. And beyond humility, you talk about dedication to the will of your Father. I think the main reason Jesus hung there was because he knew it was God's will, and he knew that without the sacrifice of his blood unto death, the redemption of mankind would never be complete. I think he hung there more out of desire to please his Father and redeem us. And that's a good, that's a good case in point of what to focus on. Now, I did, a, I did a, a Facebook video a long time, a few months back, and I talked about focus, and I used a magnifying glass, and I got the sun right, and I hit this oak stump in front of me, and it just started smoking, and the magnifying glass was eating that stump up. What you focus on is where you're going to go. What you focus on is what's going to be in here. What you focus on is going to create your level of stress or joy in your life. 
if Jesus had focused on the wrongs that were perpetrated against him, if he'd been focused on the mockery, if he'd been focused on his ego, really, I'll show you, but he wasn't focused on that. He was focused on the will of his Father and his love for his people. And that's what kept him on the cross. That's amazing. Okay. Do a little sharing from my heart with you here now. Pride can become very distasteful when we just consider the arrogant people that we have known in our lives. You want to know how pride looks? Look back across your life. I'm sure everybody in here has encountered some arrogant people. One of the most arrogant people I've ever met is a preacher. It's hard for me to be in the same building with this guy. It just is. I don't like to be around him. I bypassed a free golf tournament, three-day golf tournament at Ponte Verdra Beach one day on the, uh, where they play the, the, the 17th hole. It's an island green. You know, I can't think of it, but you know the course I'm talking about, real popular course down there. I just said, I appreciate the invitation, but I'm busy that week because I just didn't want to hang around that guy. And I think that of all the things that I've encountered in the ministry, I think personally for Roland, I think a puffed-up, arrogant, self-important spirit is one of the biggest turnoffs to me that there is. On the other side of that, I think false humility is equally as bad. I respect somebody who has confidence, like you were talking about, and they know that whatever confidence I have, it comes from God blessing me to be able to do whatever I can do. Look, man, I should be paralyzed and, and brain damaged and not be able to talk right from the wreck I got in in 1976. I shouldn't be able to stand up here, here and articulate at all. I shouldn't have been able to lift a single weight, run a, a sprint, do, play any of the sports I play. I should never have been able to do any of those things. God just rescued me and saved me. So I, the fact that I even look normal, my face looks normal, is just a mir- I mean, it's an absolute miracle of God because my aunt... She came to the bed, and she said, Son, is there anything I can get you? And I said, I just want a mirror. And she pulled out a little compact mirror out of her purse and handed it to me. And, boy, the nurse hopped up from that desk at the front of my door and dashed to run. But before she could grab the mirror, I looked at myself. It was, it was horrible. It's a miracle that I look anything close to normal. So let me just encourage you, no matter how bad things look right now, you can come through it. You really can. Um, pride can be more distasteful, and that's a motivator to me. I, I don't want to be like these arrogant people. And I'll tell you what, there's danger in pride. You know, I'll tell you this story. Uh, I knew a pastor whose son was, was a minister, and this boy decided that he was going to really learn how to quote Scripture. He was going to memorize blocks of Scripture, and, man, he did. I mean, he could quote Scripture. He could spew off Romans 8 without a mistake. Uh, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, just one verse where I don't never make a mistake. Just he memorized all these big blocks of Scripture. And he'd get up in the middle of his sermon. He'd just start quoting, and everybody knew what he was doing. They'd start clapping, and after he'd keep on going. They'd stand up, give him a stand and oh, and it, and it was moving to hear him quote all that Scripture. It really was. But at the end of it all, he was a very arrogant person. And at the end of it all, he uh, one day stood up in his own church and came out as, a homosexual 
and uh, lost that church. I don't know what he's doing now. But pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Secondly, pride is very dangerous by virtue of its inflated version of itself. Because of the nature of pride, it is most of the time unwilling to admit its own existence. What's a pride, per, proud person going to do? They're going to come up to you and say, you know what? I've been an arrogant, proud idiot for the past 20 years, and I repent. I mean, they could. I've seen that happen. But, boy, you talk about a revelation from God because you can't tell them that. <laughs> you can, but you're going to make an enemy, you know. You can tell them you're an, you're a, an arrogant, uh, prideful idiot, and you've been that way. You've been a, just a prideful jerk for the last 20 years. You know that? You can tell them that, but it's not going to resonate with them until it, until it becomes something they accept within themselves. And pride itself, because it doesn't want to be identified as such, will keep us from admitting that we're proudful. We're prideful and proud. You understand what I'm saying? It's kind of a catch-22. You're arrogant and proudful. Proudful? Why am I saying that? You're arrogant and prideful, and that keeps you from admitting that you're arrogant and prideful. It's a, it's a cycle. It doesn't want to admit its own existence. It doesn't want to humble itself to that degree where it can, it can admit, yes, I'm here, I'm wrong. That's powerful stuff. Pride is easy to see in others, but not so easy to see in ourselves. What does the Bible say about that? It says that it's easy for us to see the speck in our brother's eye, and we fail to see the plank that's in our own eye. It's important for us to understand that we have to be very careful about what goes on between our ears. You don't know where the greatest battleground of life occurs. It's the inches between your ears, your mind and mine. Our minds are the greatest battlefield on this earth. And what goes on between our ears is going to determine our whole life. That's why the Bible says take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. It's so critically important that we understand that. And when pride creeps in, it can even be, we can even become prideful over how spiritual we are. We can become prideful over how the Spirit of God moves in our church better than it moves in most other churches. Whoa, watch out. That's slippery slope, thin ice. We need to be thankful that the presence of God is anywhere near us. We need to be humbled by the presence of God. We ought to be very grateful to God that he will allow us to call his name and lift our hands and worship to him. So pride becomes very clear and more distasteful to us when we consider some of the arrogant people we've known it's very dangerous by virtue of its inflated version of itself. It is unwilling to admit its own existence. And it is easy to see in others, but difficult to see in ourselves. Let's talk about humility for a few minutes. Humility, I think for me, if I want to be a little more humble, one of the first things I do is think about some of the stupid things I've done in my past. <laughs> think back over your past, not to beat yourself up, but if you ever start puff puffing your chest out and Looking at what you might have done, think, think back across your life at some of the boneheaded decisions you've made. And we've all made them. And that'll help keep you a little bit humble, I think. It does for me. Humility, just think about your past, you know. How many of you have seen the video on Facebook? It's a few weeks old now. 
the guy sticks his head in the crocodile's mouth, and he's doing all this stuff, and all of a sudden the crocodile just, you see that? You know what that's called? Stupid. You stick your head in a crocodile's mouth. Don't be surprised when you get bit. You start dancing around a fire and playing with matches. Don't be surprised when you get burned. You give a six-year-old boy a pocket knife, you better have a Band-Aid. He's just going to cut himself. It's going to happen. It's unavoidable. No matter how many safety courses you put him through, he's going to have to see, is that blade as sharp as I think it is? <gasps> just can't stand it. Humility. Just think about your past when you need a fresh dose of humility. Humility is enriched when we stop to consider how big God is and how small we are. John 15, Jesus makes a statement. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. In other words, I'm God, you're not. That's humility. To understand that God is who God is, and we are who we are. Now, I want to give all of you something I never give. I want to give you an assignment tonight. I never give homework. I never do this. But I'm going to ask you on your honor as somebody who loves your church, loves God, loves your pastor. I'm going to ask you, and don't forget, I want you to go home tonight. I want you to do this. I want you to, I want you to get on Google or Safari, whatever search engine you use, and I want you to punch up in some way comparative size of the planets or how big is the universe or how many galaxies are there? And just and there's a video out there that shows it starts with the Earth and then it shows other planets, you know, getting gradually bigger and gradually bigger and gradually bigger and suns and different heavenly bodies. And after a while, the Earth looks about the size of the a period on a page next to these gigantic heavenly bodies. And then, if you want to see how many galaxies are out there and how big the universe is, you know, punch on video how big is the universe and, and watch the video. And that's just what we know of the universe. I can assure you it's way bigger than what we know. But it will astonish you just what we know. And I've told you this before, but this picture impacted me. You can see it on, on the Internet when you get home tonight. Years ago, they decided they wanted to see if, if there was a whole lot more out there than we thought or a whole lot less. So they pointed the Hubble Space Telescope at the darkest spot in the sky which would mean there was nothing out there beyond that they could see. And they let it gather light for 10 days. And they brought in the, the, whatever they used, and they, they developed it, computerized it, loaded it down, and loaded it. And this is just one small sp part of our sky, one small part, not 360, just one small part. Through that one little slot, Hubble is looking in one direction. And after they developed it for, for 10 days, they developed that light, when they got the pictures back, there was galaxy after, not solar system, galaxy after galaxy after galaxy after galaxy after galaxy layered into infinity as far as the eye could see. That's what's out there. That's how big God is. And God just said, let there be, and it was. I mean, even the earth compared to all that is like a grain of sand on the sea. That's how insignificant this planet really is in the scheme of what we know of the Milky Way and then those other galaxies. I mean, my goodness, it's hard to even describe how small and minuscule this planet is in the grand scheme of things. 
When you start getting prideful and you need a dose of humility, start thinking about the vastness of the universe and just the creation itself. Forget the Rocky Mountains. I mean, go bigger. Think about the universe, the Milky Way, the galaxies, the nebula, the black holes, all the things that are out there that we hadn't even seen yet. And I guarantee you that'll keep us humble. It'll bring us right back down to earth. And lastly, I want to close with this thought. Humility grows with our love for God and our dependence upon him. I don't know about you, but I need God in my heart, operative and, and viable and moving, on a, not on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. I know years ago, some country star wrote a song called One Day at a Time, Sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you. And that's a great song, but you can't serve God one day at a time. You serve God one thought at a time, one breath at a time, one conversation at a time. I need him in all those. I don't just need my daily dose. I need him to walk with me through every step I take, every conversation, because I know how how terribly wicked the human heart can become, and I know how insufferably wicked our our minds can be and how how emotionally intense our, our hearts can be. I don't want any of that operative in my life. I want the love and the grace and the mercy of God operative in my life on a day-to-day basis. I need God to walk with me every moment. We're all flesh, and the minute we think we don't need God close, that might be the worst prideful sin of all, because I can assure you we need God. Now, as we close tonight, I want to drop some thoughts in your mind. And, and one is that this whole pride and humility thing, back to the book of James, he says that humble people should take pride in their low position. What does the Bible say? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, what? He'll lift you up. You'll be exalted. But pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This pride thing is one of the seven abominations unto God. Uh, I've been saying this all my life. I'll believe it till the rapture or I die. Selfishness, which is basically based on pride, is the root cause of every evil thing that ever happens. No, Pastor, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Sure it is, the love of it. Why do you love money? Go one step deeper. You love money because what you can do with it for yourself. It goes back to selfishness every single time. Every divorce, every war, Every crime, every derangement, every social malfeasance, all of it can be traced back to selfishness, self-will, self-aggrandizement. It is, it is the self that is the nucleic center of all the cataclysmic evil that bereft and befits our lives. If we can get self subjugated to the blood of Jesus Christ, and the authority of the gospel. And if we can just come to the place that we understand, and listen to me as I close, you just don't have anything to prove. And if you do, you don't have any friends. Did y'all hear that? You don't have anything to prove. And if you do have to prove yourself to your friends, you don't really have any friends. Stop trying to prove yourself so much Because most of the time when we're trying to prove ourselves to other people, we're really trying to prove ourselves to us. 
My daddy always said to me, son, if you're really a man, you'll never have to tell nobody. They'll know. And I found that to be true. Listen, Jesus loves you. I just want to say that to you tonight as we close. Jesus loves you. In your present state right now, with all the flaws in your life and mine, as imperfected as all of us might be, trying though we might to please God and yet failing and falling short, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. And Jesus has mercy on us. Some of you are sitting here tonight. I just feel a kind of a strange anointing here. Some of you are sitting here tonight, and boy, you didn't have a very good childhood experience with dad or mom or circumstances, neglect, mistreatment, whatever. You need to understand that you don't have to earn the love of God. You don't have to get yourself and work yourself into a position where you're good enough for God to love you. God loves you right now as you are. And the Bible says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. If you will just make a quality decision to decide tonight, I just feel the presence of God. If you will just make a quality decision to decide tonight who you're going to grow up to be, and I don't say that to insult anybody. I'm just telling you, just because you're 45 don't mean you're grown yet. I decided a long time ago, really when I was 15 years old, I decided when I grow up, this is what I want to be. And I have grown up to be that person. I wish I had been, I wish I were today more of the person I envisioned myself being at 15. But I made the decision at 15, and I've never moved away from it. I want to be a man of God, and I want to win as many people to Jesus Christ as I can before he comes back. That was my go-to vision for my life. You can't, listen, you can't waver between the kingdom of God and the world, back and forth, on and on and on throughout your life. You've got to decide who you're going to be. You've got to come down on one side or the other. There, everybody talks about, I'm kind of straddling the fence. Don't kid yourself, there ain't no fence. The Bible says there's a great gulf fixed. If you think you're straddling the fence, you're in the hole. I'm telling you and talking to you about this, not in my notes, didn't plan to. I just feel anointed to do this. Let me encourage you with all my heart. I can guarantee you the devil has a plan for you. Let me tell you what that plan is. Steal, kill, destroy, and at the end of it all, take you to hell with him when he goes. That's the devil's plan in four clean, nice, easy steps. Steal, kill, destroy, take you and everybody you love to hell with him when he goes, because that's where he's going, the lake of fire. And he wants you there with him. He don't want you to go to heaven. He knows he can't destroy or hurt God, so he wants to hurt the thing God loves, and that's you and me. Jesus has a plan for you. And that plan is to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Jesus wants you to be able to say of yourself, and it be true, I'm blessed when I come in, I'm blessed when I go out. I'm the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. The enemy comes against me in one direction, he flees away from me in seven. Everything I set my hand to do prospers. The Lord goes before me, opening doors no man can shut and closing doors no man can open. Whatever I bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever I loose on earth is loosed in heaven. God wants you to be that kind of person. Jesus has a plan for you, and it is not to destroy you. It is not to mock you. It is not to force, listen to me, it is not to force you to do penance over your past or to prove yourself to be worthy of God's love. God's plan for you is to take you right where you are right now, this moment, 
And if you'll surrender to him to mold and shape and grow and mature you into an amazing man or woman of God who's going to make a high-impact difference in this world, that's what God's plan is for your life. Don't let pride get in the way of that. Don't let any human being or group of people's opinion of you or their their little mockery or whatever they might say. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. And I'm going to tell you something, and with this I close. I've done a lot of funerals. I've been to a lot of graveside services. I've seen a lot of people gather around that grave, that hole in the ground, and look down at that casket with tears. I've seen some strange things at funerals. The weirdest kind of funeral I've ever been to was a Masonic funeral. If you've never been to a Masonic funeral, you just hadn't quite lived yet. It is an exercise in the bazaar. I'm speaking in tongues and rebuking the whole time. Anyway, I've seen people sprinkle dirt on the casket, seen them throw rose petals, whole flowers, memorabilia, different things. But there's one common thing about every grave. Nobody steps in there with the deceased. From that moment on, your friend's opinions mean nothing. The only person's opinion that matters is God. And his opinion matters completely. So choose this night who you're going to serve. You're going to serve the world. You're going to try to please all these people that have their opinions about who you need to be and what you need to be doing. Or are you going to decide, you know what? I stand on my own two feet. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I don't have to please anybody. I don't have to prove anything to any of those people. I don't need their approval. I don't need admission to their little clique or group. I'm going to stand on my own two feet and be a man of God because that's all that matters. In the final analysis, only one opinion matters, and that's his. And all your friends that stood around your grave, they're going to bow the knee to God too. So live your life for an audience of one. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for these amazing people. I ask you that you would move in all of our lives. And Father, I just pray that by your Spirit, you would draw us to yourself so that we could hear your voice with great clarity. I pray, O God, that you would woo us and that we would not need wooing, but that we would run to you even this very day. And if we need to repent for being away from you or being hurt with you or angry with you, let us do so. But I just pray in the name of Jesus that we would understand the price that you paid, not just for our salvation, but for our healing, for our peace, for our future, to validate every promise in the Bible that you made to us. I pray, O oh God, that all of us would consider carefully the way in which we live our lives that we would be encouraged tonight to know that you have plans for us. You said in your word that the steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord and that those plans you have for us are good plans, better than anything we could come up with on our own. You have plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us hope and a future. I pray, O oh Lord, that every one of us will make a decision tonight that we're going to draw closer to you than we have ever been before. That we're going to seek your face incessantly. That we're going to pray and stay in your word. Not because some preacher is asking us to or because some church is doing a program called All In. But because we're mature enough and wise enough to understand the demonstrative value. The obvious benefit. The incredible 
yet very credible power and glorious opportunity for Christ's likeness involved in the very concept of going all in for you. Are we going to go through our lives half-heartedly? Are we going to work 75%? Are we going to go fishing and we're going to fish at a 50% intensity? We're going to come to church and worship at a 14% capability and, and read the Bible at 23%. I mean, we're going, to, we're going to go through our lives just moving the gas and the throttle back and forth and depending upon how we feel or circumstances or emotion or other people's opinions. We can move the throttle around for a whole bunch of things, Lord, but when we decide, when it comes to you, when it comes to our walk with God, if we want to be like Moses, whom you called a friend of God, if we want to be like Elijah and Enoch, who walked with God and was not, for God took him. There's nothing in the Bible that says nobody can ever do that again. Father, I just pray. I just pray that we would be as bold and courageous and humble as we can possibly be in seeking your face. Because when all is said and done, we just want to be like Jesus. We want you to do with us whatever you want. You said in your word, our lives are not our own because we've been bought with a price. And yet we have all these plans for our future. All these financial plans laid out. All these timetables laid out. All these percentages talked about. All these decades we've got everything laid out just so lord remind us today that you're god and we're not let us submit ourselves therefore and humble ourselves under the mighty hand of god that he may exalt us in due time let us leave this place with a passion to know you more and please you with our soul in the mighty name of jesus everybody said let's give god praise